Matthew chapter 5, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps the most important sermon that Jesus proclaimed with his lips while he was on this earth in regards to its vast nature, how it covers all of the kingdom of God as he is about to bring it. And we've been making it through a lot of tough subjects. And today we're going to be talking about another subject that, you know, it's not as sensitive as perhaps last week's subject was about divorce and remarriage. Um, But it's still something that dives us into the kingdom of God in a way that we're just perhaps not used to. At least the people listening to Jesus' teaching were not used to. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Then we're going to dive into it to see why in the world is Jesus putting this into this manifesto. And he says in verse 33, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Lord, guide us as we look at this. Guide us as we discern your heart, your desire for your people. Help us to see the economy of heaven. And help us to walk in it according to it. Help us to forsake our own ways. Help us to forsake the desires of the flesh. To not look to what profits for today, but what profits deep down for eternity. Help us see it, Lord. Not just hear about it, but help us to see it through the power of your Spirit that is within us. In Jesus' name, Amen. And this this passage, we, last week we talked last week we talked about divorce and remarriage, and the week before that we talked about adultery and lust. And today the theme is similar in a sense. And here, in this passage between verses thirty three and thirty seven, Jesus is talking to us about unadulterated honesty, divorce, lust, adultery. They're all a deviation. From the created order. In these, the mind, the focus, the intent, and the body all stray from single minded devotion to God's righteousness to our spouse in one way or another. And the subject today, like I said, it's actually very similar unadulterated honesty, honesty that's not looking for a way out. It's not looking for a different path. Unadulterated honesty is not possible for someone who is looking for their own good at all costs. Unadulterated honesty is willing to lose for the sake of truth. It's willing to be taken advantage of for the sake of personal integrity. For example, when I bought the car that I currently drive, I bought it from kind of a back alley dealer, um, and the deal was fair enough, but when we sat down to to do the the payment and the taxes and the the plates and the, the registration, he sat down and he was like, okay, so here's something that I can do for you. You know, here I'm selling you this car for X amount of dollars. So in this paperwork, why don't I just write down that I'm selling it for about half that cost so that you save a couple hundred bucks on taxes? Can I do that for you? (laughs) I do that for all my clients. So would you like to do this too? 
In that moment, at that time in our life, we were struggling financially. You know, it wasn't easy time in our life, and it would have been very easy for me to say, you know what, I'd like to save a couple hundred bucks. Sounds like a good deal. But you know, just couldn't do it. Nobody was going to know. The government wasn't going to find out. This dealer, I'd never, he was not in my circles. I would never see him again. He wasn't going to tell anybody about my lie, about my dishonesty. And I told the man, I can't do that. Because I want to live an honest life. And he just kind of double took. Like, what? How? Why would you not want to save a couple hundred bucks? Nobody's, you're not, there's no consequences here. It's just words on a piece of paper. (laughs) On the other side of things, there was one time when I was in real estate and uh, I helped a couple sell their house to a, a single woman and she bought this place. A couple months later, I get a notification from a lawyer saying that I'm going to be sued because this woman has found a problem with the house that she is saying that she has proof that I knew about and didn't tell her. And uh, I (laughs) send that over to my managing broker and I'm like, what am I supposed to do about this? (laughs) I didn't didn't know about this. And, you know, come to find out the woman had already um, tried to sue the the uh, property management. She'd already tried to sue the uh, property inspector. She had tried to sue somebody else. And now it was my turn for her to try to sue. And uh, she didn't have any proof. We got to the the hearing and uh, there was no proof that I knew anything about it. And for the record, I didn't know anything about it. And uh, she was trying to make some money. She was trying, yeah, I understand. She found this problem with the house that she had to repair and she didn't want to have to pay for it out of her own pocket. You know, buying a new house is difficult and then you find something, I understand. But then she went and was just trying to find some way to get somebody else to pay for it rather than having to deal with this new house herself. And she was going all avenues, trying to find a way to save some money to alleviate her need. And I ended up having to pay some money just because the, the way the hearing went, they, you know, she had a, you know, a sob story and the, the people residing over the case liked her story and we had to pay some money. But it wasn't as much as she wanted. So a couple months later, I saw another email saying, I found more proof <laughs> that they knew about it. And didn't tell me. But at that point, it was all closed and nothing more was to be done. But an example, somebody trying to take advantage of somebody else by bending the truth or telling a complete non-truth just because they wanted to save or make some money. And it just reminds me, when we were singing that last song about glad day, glad day, do you know what that was talking about? What was the glad day? The glad day when I get to go and see my Lord and Savior. I don't live for today. No, I live for eternity's sake. And Paul was instructing Timothy in his his letters to Timothy, teach those who are rich in this life not not to live according to the riches, but to be generous, to be humble, so that they may lay hold on eternal life. In a sense, what he is teaching him is to teach those who would look to their wealth as a form of trust, as a form of security, to change your mind. That it's not security. And if if you want to rely on the wealth, if you want to rely on the things of this earth, go ahead, but you don't get to lay hold on eternity. You pick one. You can pick your security here, Or you can pick your security there. And he was instructing Timothy, teach these things to these people so that they may lay hold on eternal life. And earthly security is the reason why a lot of dishonesty really exists in this life. We are surrounded by deceit on a daily basis. And sometimes we don't even know about it. It's not straightforward 
Some lies around us appear in what's not said via implication. For instance, when you look at that McDonald's billboard on the side of the road, first and foremost, why does a cheeseburger belong on a billboard? That doesn't make any sense in the first place. (laughs) Second of all, right next to that cheeseburger, it says, made with 100% real beef. And they leave it at that. They're trying to inspire some confidence in their product. But then I go and I I eat one of those cheeseburgers and my stomach tells me that they didn't tell me the whole story. (laughs) You you know what I mean? That doesn't doesn't make me feel like I just had a healthy burger. (laughs) Like they're coming across. And they had, you know, McDonald's has put out all sorts of advertisement. Lettuce is all natural. The potatoes are all natural. The onions are all natural. Everything that we produce is all natural. But then you have it and you feel miserable. (laughs) They're not telling you the whole story. Why? Because if they told you the whole story, you probably, they probably wouldn't be making as much money. Deceit via implication. Deceit via concealment of information. And perhaps concealment actually in, this, in today's market makes more money than what you actually reveal. What you don't tell somebody. I mean, I was in real estate for a few years and that happened. They don't tell you everything wrong with the house. They don't want to drive you away. <laughs> there are some things that you can get away with not telling. Because if we told you all the things that were wrong with our house, you probably would not want to buy it. You're going to go buy the house that they didn't tell you everything that's wrong with it. So it looked like a perfect condition house. So it's deceit through concealment. Because we know, and you know, you and I are not fools. We know that this is all around us. And because of that, we're always kind of suspicious. We are kind of left to our own ability to consider, well, what can be true, what's not true. Because we don't know if the news is telling us the truth, or if they're concealing something or manipulating something. We don't know. Could be true. But I wasn't there to check it out myself, so maybe I'm not getting the whole story. So we're always suspicious. We never know. If somebody's telling the whole truth, if they're telling us a blatant lie, we wouldn't know. So we're just kind of left to our own devices to try to figure this all out. Why do people withhold? Why do people deceive? Because the transaction or the agenda is more important than the actual truth. What I get out of this is more important than delivering the full truth. I want to make money or I want to push my agenda. I want you to believe something that benefits me in some way. Churches do it too. We all know churches do it. We're going to present, we're going to tell you what you want to hear so that you just keep coming and tithing. And It's not hard to tell people what they want to hear. Especially in today's day and age, we know what people like to hear. It's not that hard to figure that out. And to say those things, to say the right things, to offer the right things. And I'm, I'm not here to put anything, anybody down. I'm not going to name names or denominations or whatever, because every church is different. But we've all seen it, personally. We've been, in the, we've been there. So if you can't even trust the church, what are you supposed to do? But then what in the world does any of this have to do with Christ's discussion about oath-making? We get it. It's simple. Jesus says oaths are bad. (laughs) Keeping the truth simple is good. Got it. Moving on. And frankly, I I had those thoughts when I was looking through the Sermon on the Mount a few weeks ago. And I was like, how in the world am I supposed to teach on that? (laughs) Seems just so incredibly simple. All right. Five minutes. Done. (laughs) Be an honest person. Live an honest life so that people trust you. But there is a deep discussion that we need to have about this. Look at verse 33. Again, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. This is direct out of Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 16. If you'd like to look there with me. 
We're going to see this passage in Leviticus chapter 19. And we're going to see what it's about. Many times we're kind of afraid of the book of Leviticus, but this chapter is actually pretty fantastic. I mean, the whole book is fantastic, don't get me wrong. But this chapter is very practical. It's easy to discern, I should say. The whole book is practical, if you see the purpose of it. But in this passage, it's a little bit more easy to see. Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 16, is an extended passage of dealing honestly beginning with love and sacrifice rather than taking advantage of people for your own personal gain. Let's look at this. Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 16. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of the field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor And the stranger, I am the Lord your God. So right now, he's giving us the beginning of the instructions. When you're doing your business, make sure you leave out something for the poor at your own cost. They're not going to, the poor and the stranger, they're not going to benefit you. The stranger, talking about somebody who may be traveling through the land, kind of passing through, or maybe they're visiting from another country. And back in the day, they didn't have the McDonald's, on every street corner. You had to bring your own food and kind of rely on the hospitality of people along along your journey. If nobody was... It was unrealistic, especially if you were on a journey that was a couple months long or something. It was unrealistic for you to have to bring a couple months worth of food along with you. So you were kind of at the mercy of the people that were around you during your trip. And God is teaching the people, you will be a people of hospitality. You will be a people that gives to people that will not give you in return. You're going to take care of the poor through the everyday business. You're not going to um, reap all of the harvest. You're going to leave some of it out there so the poor have something to live on. So the stranger coming through has something to help them along with their journey. This is how you will do business. You will do business honestly and generously. That's the beginning of this passage. But what does that have to do with anything? Then he goes on to verse 11. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. This is the opposite of what he just established, stealing. No, you're to be givers. You're to be hospitable. You're not to be takers, getters at all cost. When you do business, you're not going to make false deals. You're not going to lie and cheat people as you are doing business. That's not the kingdom of God. You're not going to steal. You're not going to take from people just because you can. You're not going to do dishonest business just because you can. They're not going to know any different. You're not going to put the the sawdust in the oil, so to speak. You're not going to be lying to each other for personal gain. Verse 12, you sh- and here's the, <clears throat> you shall not swear by my name falsely. This is where, what Jesus is quoting in Matthew chapter 5. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. What Jesus is saying is, if you're telling a lie to somebody, don't you dare bring my name into it. Don't make me part of your sin and your depravity. I mean, that's what this is where the term profanity comes from. You shall not swear by you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Profanity means to profane. Well, what are we profaning when we use profanity? Starts here. You will not profane my name by bringing me into your sins. I am the Lord. He reminds the people, remember, I am your God. I will not be associated with your depravity. And then he goes on, you will not cheat, in verse 13, your neighbor. You will not rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. So he's saying here, when you do business with people and you promise somebody a wage, 
They are not at your mercy, you are now at their mercy because you promised them a wage and you will be honest to them and you will give them exactly what you promised. Yeah, they do the work for you. Perhaps they provide you with a material good or perhaps they provide you with labor services and you say, I'll pay you. Do the work and I'll pay you. They do the work. Thanks. Now, I only have this much money so I'll give you about half of what I said because that's all I have. That's happened to me before. I've had people do that to me. You know, or perhaps, you know, we've sold stuff on Craigslist and, you know, they, you know, the people buying our product says, yeah, I'll pay you 50 bucks for that. And then they show up to your doorstep and they're like, well, I only brought 30. <laughs> Will you still sell it to me? I tell them, no, sorry, you promised to pay 50. Sorry you wasted your two hour trip. And then they pull out another 20 and they pay me 50. People do it. It's a modern thing. This is not just an ancient thing. You shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. No, you will pay him promptly what you promised. You will not deceive just because you can. Because now they're, they're, now they're at your mercy. And then he goes even further. In verse 14, you shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. I mean, just imagine it. You have a blind person walking down the street, and just for a prank, you kind of you throw a rock out in front of their path. Because you know that they'll stumble on it, and you'll get a good laugh. They're not, they're not going to know that you put that rock in the path. They didn't see you throw it into their path. As far as they know, they just made a mistake, they fell, they tripped. But you're taking advantage, you know, the idea here is you're taking advantage of somebody just because you can. Even if they knew that it was you, they're not going to be able to chase after you. You're taking, he's saying, if a person has a weakness, you're not going to exploit it. Because you're honest. Not only are you honest, but you're generous. In fact, that 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 or that deaf or the blind person, you're going to go and you're going to be hospitable to them and you're going to help them. You're not going to take advantage of them. You're not going to exploit them. You know, and in business, just because you can charge an exorbitant price for something doesn't mean you should. Because you're honest and you're generous and you're hospitable. I was a photographer for a few years in Chicagoland and. Photographers in Chicagoland charge outrageous prices because they can. Everybody's looking for a professional photographer. But that was one thing that me and my wife devoted ourselves to. We're not going to charge what we can just because we can. Here's a fair price. That's what we're going to offer. Because it's the Lord. Just like he follows this up. But you, instead of cursing the deaf or putting a stumbling block before the blind... You shall fear the Lord your God. It's not that, yeah, you could get away with it, but you're not really getting away with it. You may have deceived that person, that deaf person who didn't hear you making fun of them behind, your back, behind their back. They didn't know. God knows. And you're to walk in the fear of God. Why? Because as he says, I am the Lord. I am your God. I am your king. I am your sovereign. And you will walk in my kingdom as my kingdom people are to walk. You will not exploit somebody just because you can. Because you will deal honestly with each other and with the foreigners. Not only will you deal honestly with them, you will deal honestly with those who you could take advantage of. There was one time when I was in a Coles back in Illinois and... There was a big storm, and the entire street, for about a mile, the electricity went out. And just ten minutes afterwards, you heard police sirens, because people were robbing stores. Because they could. All the security equipment was down. All the electricity in the entire strip was down. And I remember walking around in that dark place, and, and, it, and I thought... I wonder if people are going to do that. I wonder if people are going to take advantage of the situation. The place is dark. People aren't really going to be able to tell if you're stealing or, or whatnot. 
But sure enough, you heard sirens all over the place because people were stealing. Because they could. No other reason, just because they could. And you know, it's funny, I think about a cat, okay, a small little feline. It's not that powerful compared to a human being. But let's say that feline was a few hundred pounds. You know, you think of the tiger, the feline that's much larger and much more powerful than us. It can consume us. And sometimes they do, because they can. But the little kitty cat, it can't. And sometimes we feel like the little kitty cat. Okay, we have all these restraints. There's the security, there's the lights, there's the, the visibility. But then the lights go out. And you turn into the lion or the tiger because you can. Now you can, now you can take advantage. Now you can consume. Because you, simply because now you have the power to do it. Or in our honesty, do we remain under submission because we walk before God? Because God is the Lord. I don't just do what, I don't deal dishonestly just because I can get away with it. Just because I know that I can. This is what Jesus and God is fighting with us with. And he says in verse 15 in Leviticus chapter 19. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as the talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I'm the Lord. You're not going to be partial to people just because you, you like that kind of person, you don't like that kind of person. These type of people benefit me. These type of people don't benefit me. So I'm going to, in my judgment, in my... In, you know, in my uh, Pursuits, I'm going to benefit these people because they benefit me. That's not honest. That's not sincere. That's not integrity. He says, you're not going to go about as a talebearer among your people, a gossip, telling stories about people, faming or defaming for whatever works out in your favor. Nor are you going to take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. And that goes back to the commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness not saying thou shalt not lie. It's specifically saying don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't take him to the stand to get something out of him in a lie. Because back then it was easy to do that. There weren't as many ways to, to kind of dig into their life to see if everything was true. It was just, yeah, anybody could hire two witnesses to stand against somebody. Here, I'll give you, I'll give you some money. Just be a witness for me and take the stand and just say they did such and such and now they owe me some cattle just because I want some. You're not going to deal that way with people just because it would be easy to do it. And that's what he's referencing here. All of this so far that we've discussed can be summarized by saying we need to seek unadulterated, loving, sacrificial, selfless honesty out of reverence for God. This is who we are supposed to be. We're not supposed to be exploiters. We're not conquistadors going to, going to expand our borders at whatever cost, taking over whichever people we decide that we can take over because they're weaker than us. That's not who we are. We are to be a benefit to other people. We are not supposed to treat other people as well, how can they benefit me? That's kingdom living. In God's kingdom anyway. Additionally, concerning vows, and this kind of provides us with a little dilemma. Because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is telling us, don't make vows. Don't take oaths. Don't do it. But in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, it says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him, and by His name you shall swear. In the Old Testament, it's telling us the complete opposite of what Jesus is telling us. He's saying, you shall swear by the name of the Lord your God. Where Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't swear by God's name. Don't make oaths in God's name. And additionally, about four, okay, so there's a promise to foreigners who would like to convert over to God's 
truth. In Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 16, it says, And it shall be, if they will learn carefully the ways of my people, to swear by my name, quote, as the Lord lives, unquote, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. So in this passage, we see that actually swearing by the name of the Lord was a way to convert. If a foreigner was to come in and adopt the ways of God, part of their conversion would include swearing by the name of God, the true God, Yahweh, rather than their old gods. That was a way of conversion. And look in Joshua chapter 2 real quick. There's a, there's a harlot named Rahab who makes it into the, the great hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, and she is praised for her great faith. So if you look at Joshua chapter 2, we look, what exactly did she do in order to be praised for such great faith? Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Every one of the children of Israel... Wait, sorry, I'm in the wrong book. Now Joshua, when I read Moses, I was like, wait a second, this is not the right book. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came here, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened, as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. Verse 6, But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now this story has provided an ethical dilemma for Christians for many, many years. I remember discussing this in college, debating back and forth whether this was right for her to do, to tell this lie or not. But look at it, though. This was a woman, Rahab, a resident of Jericho, along with her business, her friends, her family, by, do, by lying to these soldiers that were coming to capture these Israelites, she was doing something more than just lying on their behalf. She was converting. Because in lying to these, and sending away these soldiers, she condemned her people. She condemned her gods to destruction. If she had told the truth, her town would have been spared. If she told the truth, she knew that she would have been spared. They would have caught the spies. The spies would not have been able to return to Joshua with the the layout or whatever it is that they were bringing back to Joshua. The plan for destroying Jericho. They wouldn't be able to do that. She would have saved her people. She would have saved her way of life. But when she lies, she gave it all up for the sake of Israel's God. And continuing down, now in verse 8, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said, and said to them, And I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed." And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. Because the Lord, your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, and my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And then the people said, it will be so. But here she's converting over to Israel's God. And in doing so, she's asking for these people, swear by the Lord. She's not saying, swear by your God. 
She's saying, swear by the Lord. She had just stated in verse 11, for the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. He is the God. He is the true God. And then she makes Him her God. In lying, in this oath-taking, she is converting over to the Israel's God. So in her lie, it was not, you know, the focus is not on the lie. The focus is, this is conversion. This is her choosing to follow Israel's God rather than her own. She's coming over. She is choosing to worship Yahweh. She is choosing to not just worship Him, but to go His direction to benefit His people rather than her own people. This is literally a picture of, <clears throat> of leaving everything behind, taking up your cross, and following God. That's what this is a picture of. So why is Christ now forbidding this type of swearing, this type of oath? Well, we must, you know, if you want to turn back to Matthew chapter 23, we're going to read that in a second here. But oaths, in such a case, over time, just like the rest of Israel's everything, had deteriorated so drastically that they were a dishonor to the very God referenced in them. The leaders of the society there had developed an intricate web of rules for what kinds of oaths were valid, which ones could be broken, so it was nearly as impossible to keep up with this system of oath-making as, as you know, perhaps some of us small business owners or business owners trying to keep up with tax law. <laughs> All the intricate web of details surrounding taxes and benefits and you know, all the ins and outs of these laws that are also always changing. It was kind of like that for this system of oath-making that these people were in. There wasn't any sincerity or integrity left in society. Figuring out how to get away with a well-worded false oath was the new way to do business. That's not just an ancient thing. That's also a very modern thing, is it not? And for example... The people were told that if you were swore by Jerusalem, you were not legally bound to keep your oath. But if you swore toward Jerusalem, then you were bound. And ridiculous things like this abounded in society. So you never knew when you were talking to somebody and they made an oath to you. I don't, I don't have the book on whether or not this oath was right or not. It was as childish as, you know, as a child, you crossed your fingers, you hid it behind your back, and then you made a promise. But then you break your promise and you say, well, I had my fingers crossed, tied behind my back, <laughs> so I didn't have to keep my promise. That's exactly what they were doing. Figuring out ways to break oaths so that people could get ahead and take it by taking advantage of, any, of people. Matthew chapter 23 shows this a little bit more through some examples. Matthew 23, verse 16 says, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple is nothing, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that, sanct that, uh, that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is ob obligated to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift on the or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. The people, their honesty, their integrity had so deteriorated that it, they no longer had any concern about God, His throne, His ways, His things. It was all just a way of getting ahead. There was no worship. There was no sincerity. People were just trying to figure out how to get ahead. How to deceive people through oath-making of all things. Christ reveals that this type of oath system in Matthew chapter 5 
comes from the evil one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37 says, But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. This tells us, you know, the oaths, the oaths that God told the people in the Old Testament to perform, does that mean Jesus is saying that God is the evil one or that Moses is the evil one? No. Because the oath system had so deteriorated that it was not anything like what God had prescribed. It was from the evil one. This which man formulated for their own gain. That was from the evil one. Christ was calling the people into a kingdom where, because of the radical pursuit of righteousness by God's people, honesty, integrity, sincerity are the norm. They are what are expected. When you meet somebody, when you meet a Christian, you expect that person to be honest, to have integrity, to not be wondering, is this person going to take advantage of me to make five more dollars? No. We should be the type of people where when we say, yeah, it'll be so, or no, it's not so, that we are trustworthy, that people are not going to be hurt because they followed our lead. No, we should be the type of people where people are benefited from us. From following our lead, everybody around us benefits. But society, even the church sometimes, has reversed it all. Now, nobody knows who's true and who's not. When we say yes or no, in some way there's some sort of ulterior motive that we're trying to benefit from. We word things just the right way. We give just enough information to get people to like what we're saying. Leave out just the right things so that they aren't turned away. You know, even in presenting the gospel, we say it just the way we know people want to, want to hear, just so they'll come to our church, just so that they will pray that prayer. But you leave out things like repentance or depravity of sin. You don't tell people, you're a sinner and you deserve to go to hell. We prevent people from actually being lost just so that they'll start coming to our church. Not that they're not lost, but we don't want people to feel bad. Because if they feel bad, then they're not going to listen to us. They'll be offended. So we've even, even in presenting the gospel, we become dishonest. We become shrewd. We try to word things just the right way. Leaving out important details or saying things that perhaps aren't even true. If you come to Christ, all your dreams will come true. <laughs> It happens. And perhaps the most important reason the Old Testament oath is done away with by Christ in Matthew chapter 5 is that He fulfilled its whole need. Oaths are no longer the means by which we devote ourselves to God or convert to God. That's not the way to do it. We, are now, we now devote and convert by the name of Christ alone. He came. He is the one who is high and lifted up. Not, some, not a tradition, but by His Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 17. Tell us about this. It says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life. Because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Okay, so we are not converted via means of traditions, good works, good deeds. No, because if you live according to the flesh you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh and that you're not looking to them for your salvation or your sanctification, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, 
Again, what he's saying there, the spirit of bondage. If I don't do the right things, then God's not going to love me and give me his favor. So you live your life in fear. Everything you do is out of fear. That if, because if you don't do it just the right way, God's going to hate you. But God doesn't give us that spirit of bondage. Again, to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out the exact opposite. We're not afraid of him, but rather we cry out, Abba, Father. We have an intimate relationship with this God. An intimate, a relationship so intimate that he is not going to turn us away just because we don't fit somebody's mold. The Spirit himself, in verse 16, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified together. Who bears witness to our conversion? The Spirit himself. You may have somebody in your life telling you, you don't look like this. That means you're not truly converted. That, they may be offering you some good advice, but they don't have the right to tell you that. There is the truth that says, by your fruits you shall know them. But it is truly the Spirit of God in whose hand relies your eternal life. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and heirs, joint heirs with Christ. It is not oaths or any form of tradition that give you confidence that you are the Son of God or a daughter of God. Those are not the things that give you the confidence that you're making oaths correctly or that you're, or whatever. We could go, there's a huge lists of rules that people still develop. If you look like this, then you're a sincere Christian. If you don't look like this, then you're not a sincere Christian. And it all comes down to the traditions of man. Now the Word of God does tell us this is how you should live as a child of God. <laughs> but many times our lists of traditions have nothing to do with Scripture. Or they have something to do with some strange extrapolation that we came up with that actually isn't in Scripture. We just feel like it should be. But our traditions do not confirm us before God. Christ and His Spirit confirm us before God. Nothing else. When you stand before God in that day, that glad day, you're not going to come with your traditions and other people from your church bearing witness. Oh, they, they were such a faithful member. What a good tither they were. Now you're going to stand there and Christ is going to come to your side. And he's going to confirm you before the Father. Christ will. He's going to stand next to you, put his arm around you, and say, this is my beloved. I forgave this person from their sins. They are mine. I died for their sins. Their sin has already been punished. I took it for them. They don't need to be punished for their sins. I did it already. Jesus is going to come to your side. Satan's going to come and he's going to, he's going to accuse you before the Father. They did this. They did that. They didn't do this. They did that. And Jesus is going to say, Satan... Be gone. This is my child. This is my beloved. I love them and I paid for their sins. Yeah, you're right, Satan. They did do those things. But I died for them. I took the punishment for them already. They don't have to take the punishment. I did it. Because Jesus is coming to your side. He's going to bear witness. There are some other things that I could say, but I'm going to skip over those things. Do you walk as a kingdom person? In honesty, integrity. Not because you're trying to get into the kingdom of heaven, but because you are. Because you're God's. God is your sovereign. You play by His rules. Every nation has their laws. I'm an American. I follow American laws. I don't follow Argentinian laws. I follow American laws. Because this is where I'm a citizen. Are you a kingdom person? God's kingdom person? Then you follow His way. 
honesty, integrity, sincerity, the truth that it dwells in your heart, that flows out. And you are a benefit to your neighbors, your family, your church. You're a benefit. You're not just among those people because you're trying to benefit from them. No, you go out and you benefit them. Because that's how God wants it in His kingdom. We're all benefiting each other. And if we're all benefiting each other, then we're all benefited, are we not? That's how a body is supposed to work. That's how a marriage is supposed to work. Both of you are supposed to be benefiting each other. So you're both fed, even though you're not trying to scrape and claw from that other person. We live life benefiting everybody around us. And as a body of Christ here, we are to strive to be a benefit to each other. So we don't have to come here selfishly trying to get fed. Why? Because we're all feeding each other. Because of love. We don't have to go out and get it for ourselves. No. We can feel free to just go and benefit. Because of God's love that has been poured out to us and has been an infinite benefit to us. Because the body, the brothers and sisters in Christ, we're all actively benefiting each other the way God has modeled for us. And we rely, first and foremost, on the one who has given us the supreme benefit, eternal life, sonship in the kingdom, heir of everything. We rely on Him. We don't rely on our traditions and how we fit in. We rely on Christ alone. He is the foundation, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end, from faith for faith. And because we rely on Him, we're free to be exactly what God wants us to be. It is not burdensome, for His load is light. So that's my, my beckoning is, come to Jesus. Submit yourself to Him. Submit your way to His way. Whether in means of everyday business, if you have been cheating, if you have been dishonest, if you have been skirting around the truth because you feel like it'll do better business, repent. Repent of this. And instead, do what Leviticus started out with. Give somebody, lay out something for somebody else to glean from. Be a giver. You know, Paul, Paul resonates this when he says, let the thief... Steal no more, but let him work extra hard so that he has something to give. And Paul is rehashing that in modern day. We are not supposed to be people looking to get all the time. Give. Be a giver. Why? Because God is a giver. When the Bible says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all, what is light? Light does not exist if it's not giving. It's not going out. Producing. By very nature, he exerts into everything around him. And as we shine the light of Christ, that's exactly what we become. Because we have been a recipient of his light. We have received his grace and we have received his favor. So now we become like that and we go out and do the same to other people, everybody around us. So follow God. Seek his ways, not our own ways. Lord, I thank you for your testimony to us that you have given us above and beyond anything we could have ever imagined. And we have yet, even the best imagination, still can't even put together an image of what's up ahead. We ask for our daily bread, but Lord, really what we need is you, just you. We need bread, but more than that, we need you. We cannot live just by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And in this, let us be satisfied, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.